Another big round of applause for our band. What was that? The Broken Strings? The Broken Strings. Very good, Mr. Peterkin. Very good. Did you ever go to one of those church services where everything just goes right? Isn't that boring, right? That's not what we're about here at Hope. Thank you to our stream team and to our band for all of you just being so adaptable and willing to flex with us. Um, this morning is a big Sunday. We are starting a brand new message series, and this series is called In Pursuit of Unity. And um, I don't know how long this series will go on. Uh, we'll find that out along the way. But we're calling this series In Pursuit of Unity, and it's based on uh, it's based on something Jesus said. It's one verse. In fact, it's just a, a part of a verse. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 25b. Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Let me read that one more time. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now, I'm sure you've noticed that there's a lot of division in our world right now, and in our nation, and in our local community, but there is hope. And I believe, I believe this, guys, I believe that we as a local church, we can make a positive change in our community. And as a local church, we need to make certain that we are staying united, that we are maintaining our Unity. And when the world around us looks at the people of Hope Community Church, they need to see a people who are united. In spite of our differences, we are one. We are decidedly and consistently for one another. That's what the world needs to see when they look at the people of Hope Community Church. That we are decidedly and consistently for one another. We've got each other's backs. We're on each other's side. We are for one another. Today's sermon is called The Discipline of Love. Uh, several years ago, I heard a story. This was actually quite a long time ago. This was when I was a kid. And uh, I'm not sure that this is a true story. In fact, I think it's just a legend or maybe even a parable. But it's a story of a, a little country church back in the olden days. And their pastor retires. And so a new preacher comes on board. And um, the people are, are excited to see this new preacher in action. And they're a little bit nervous about what they're getting. And so it comes time for the sermon. The preacher stands up and he gives a message and he preaches about loving one another. And he gives an awesome teaching. He talks about how we are to love one another and why this is so important. And it's just, it's a home run of a message. And so the congregation feels at peace. They feel excited. We've got a new preacher and he's really great. And so they leave. They exit out the, the back door of that little country church and they shake his hand and they're very excited about this. And then week, week two rolls around. And so they all gather together and they're waiting for that message time because they know this guy can bring it. And he stands up, and guess what? He gives the same message, word for word, the same exact sermon. And so people, as they're making their way out, they kind of try to avoid shaking hands with the pastor and just dodge them on their way out. And so that what, that's what happens week two. Week three rolls around, and everybody's nervous now. <laughs> What's going to happen during the sermon? And wouldn't you know it, he stands up and gives the exact same message on loving one another. Now this time, the board of directors, they get together and say, we've got to do something about this. We've got to talk to the pastor. So they sit the pastor down and say, listen, you can't just preach the same sermon over and over and over again. And the pastor says, when you start living it, I'll stop preaching it. Oh, yikes. 
When you start living it, I'll stop preaching it, okay? That's what makes me think this isn't a true story. That has to be a legend, right? Because I can't imagine that going over well. When you start living it, I'll stop preaching it. Uh, Years ago, I read a statistic, this was about 12 years ago, that the average preacher only has about seven different sermons that they keep cycling through. And when I read that stat, I was thinking, hmm, that sounds like four more than I have, right? <laughs> and you could be critical of that, and you could think, wow, you look at all this, this stuff that the Bible has to say and all the different topics there are to talk about, and isn't there a lot we should be teaching about? But when you look to Scripture, there are a few things that keep coming up over and over and over again. Certain themes, certain teachings, certain values that are repeated all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And one of these teachings, perhaps the most predominant teaching throughout all of Scripture, is the importance of love and how we, as human beings, are to love one another in the ministry of Jesus more than anything else Jesus taught was the value of loving one another and he taught it a number of different ways he said love your neighbors he said love your enemies he said pray for those who persecute you he said to love to love to love and for those of you who aren't comfortable with the term love he said okay we'll just treat other people the way that you want them to treat you which is essentially the same thing to love one another And I'm sure his disciples got sick of hearing it. It's like, Jesus, let's hear another sermon. We travel from town to town. It's the same message over and over and over again. Well, apparently, the deal is we need to be reminded of how essential it is that we love one another, how important this is, and how much hangs on this. We need to love one another. So yes, my friends, today is the love one another sermon again. That's what we're talking about today, loving one another. So here's what we have going on in this world. Um, a lot of division. And so there was a division across the nation and really around the world over how our government leaders are handling the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, people just aren't in agreement over how we should be conducting ourselves. And so there was division over that. There's stress over that. People are out of work. And so there's a lot of anxiety there. And then something else happens. There was an incident. And at this point, you've all heard or read or seen some of the details of what happened. You don't need me to recount all the details for you. There was a man in Minneapolis who allegedly attempted to use counterfeit money to buy something, which we all know is illegal. You can't do that. And apparently, a toxicology report later determined that this man was under the influence of fentanyl and methamphetamine, again, allegedly. And so the police were called. And while this man was being placed under arrest, the arresting officer used excessive force, and the man died. You don't need me to tell you that this is tragic, and this is wrong, and this is an injustice. This should not happen. And here's what I'll say about we human beings. I think this is especially true of us Americans. We don't tolerate injustice. We won't stand for it. And so to have something like this happen at a a point in time where we're already so tense and so stressed and so divided, we don't stand for injustice, of course. What makes matters so much more complicated is the fact that the arresting officer was Caucasian, and the man who was killed while being placed under arrest was African-American. And so immediately, the question what must be asked, was this an act of racism? 
was this an act of racism? Was the excessive force that was used that led to the death of this man, was this racially motivated? Now, if you've seen, if you've seen this disturbing footage, you know how things appear. It's tough not to see this as an act of racism, and I'm not claiming to be in a position where I know what was going on inside of that person's heart. I mean, I don't have that gift. I don't have the ability to look into a person's heart and know what's motivating their actions or behaviors. I just, I don't have that. Only God has that. But we certainly know how things appear. This seems to be another act of racism. Now, I said we human beings, we don't tolerate injustice. But acts of racism are considered especially heinous in our society. Overall, we don't tolerate injustice, but racism is a whole other level of injustice. Next level injustice. Now we're all aware of the fact, and this is just a sad reality, that to this day, groups still exist that are rooted in hate and rooted in racism, founded in this this really disgusting belief that some races are superior to other races and it doesn't make sense and it's ugly and we know that. But guys, I want to believe. I want to believe that people like that are in the minority. I want to believe that. And I want to believe that most of us Americans and most of us human beings know how wrong and how ugly racism is. I want to believe that. We know this is wrong. And in the wake of this incident... You know what's happened since then. In the wake of this incident that took place in Minnesota, there have been protests. There have been marches. People want to make their voices heard. We want to speak out and say this is wrong. This shouldn't happen. And here's the thing, guys. Listen, it doesn't matter if if this was this man's first offense or his tenth offense or his hundredth offense. He deserves his day in court. He deserves an opportunity to defend himself. We have, in this nation, due process where a person who's been accused of a crime can go before a jury of their peers, make their case, make their defense, and if a wrong was committed, they face the consequences, appropriate consequences, for their crimes. But this man was robbed of that due process, and he was robbed of his life. This is wrong. And so we protest, and so we march, And if you look at the history just of our nation alone, you can see that that protests and marches, they can be effective. They have created positive change in our country. They have. And I'll tell you this much, the more specific the goal of the protest, the more likely that that protest is to accomplish a goal. And it's one thing just to make your voice heard. It's another thing to say, here's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. But we know this. Protests, marches can be effective. Looting, on the other hand, Well, that doesn't solve anything. Again, you don't need need me to tell you this. You know this. Looting does not create a positive change. And setting a business on fire, that does not restore some kind of justice or balance. Acts of violence against the innocent. You know, when there's been an act of injustice to say, okay, we're going to be violent against some other people, no. That does not restore balance. That does not create justice. And parents, what do we teach our children? Two wrongs. 
don't make a right. I know that's an oversimplification of what's going on right now, but it's, it's like we tell our kids, two wrongs don't make a right. We all agree on it. Two wrongs don't make a right. It doesn't create balance. So a lot of people, a lot of people, even people who are very far removed from this incident are angry about this. And that anger, it makes sense. And that anger, I, I'd go so far as to say it's even justifiable. But here's the thing about anger. It doesn't accomplish positive change. Anger does not produce good fruit. Now, you might want to disagree with me on that. You think, you know, some people have gotten angry over something and that's led to something good. And I say, well, hang on a second. There is a difference. This is important. This is very important. There is a difference between anger and passion. Don't confuse the two. They may look similar, but there's a difference between anger and passion. Anger is, is somehow based in pride. And so when you make something about you, anger is selfish. I'm offended. I'm hurt. I'm making this about me. Passion is something else. That's based in love and care and concern for other people, fighting a cause for others. That's, that's something else. Passion can be fruitful and productive and create positive change. So at dinner um, this past week, uh, Holly and I, we sat down having dinner with our girls. Our girls are young, uh, three, six, and nine. Uh, our middle child, Evie, she's about to turn seven tomorrow. So if you're watching, happy birthday, Evie. So we're sitting down to dinner with our young children, trying to talk through what's happening in our country right now, trying to explain this. And in the course of our conversation, I brought up a very famous uh, quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And apparently um, in Norwood School, they have this quote printed out and, and on the wall as a piece of art for the students to walk past. And I'm sure you've heard this quote before, but it's definitely worth repeating. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only light can do that. We know this. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We know this. You know, hating, hating people doesn't solve things, right? And so for those of us who are Christians, I feel like sometimes we give ourselves permission to hate the haters. We don't have that permission from our Father God to hate the haters. We just don't. And so it all comes back to this one teaching, the love one another teaching, the love one another principle that Jesus commanded us over and over again, taught us to love one another. And it seems like when things get tough, we lose sight of exactly what, what that is and what that means. And so we know, we believe what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that hate doesn't solve the problem of hate. Racism doesn't solve the problem of racism. But what we know is that love does solve the problem of hate. Love does solve the problem of racism. Let's take a closer look at the scripture passage that Josh read for us today. This, um, these are the words of Jesus, and he's speaking these words in the middle of what we now call the Sermon on the Mountain. This is almost certainly Christ's first big speaking engagement. Okay, He's got a, a crowd of people, and he was speaking, and this is important to note, he was speaking to a, an exclusively Jewish audience. I don't think there were any Gentiles, any non-Jews in attendance that first day. Maybe, maybe a couple, but for the most part, talking to a Jewish audience about life and Jewish matters for the most part here. And he's in the middle of this section in his sermon where he's, he's clarifying some things to the people. He's like, okay, guys, we've heard certain things in the past. We've been laboring under a misconception in the past 
But I'm going to tell you, it's not that way, it's a different way. You've heard it said to the people long ago to do something, I'm telling you to do something else. You've got, we've got one set of ideas about how we should be living life, I'm here to correct that. And so here's what Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Now, there's something about that teaching, something about that principle that seems to make sense. I mean, isn't there a balance there? You love the people that love you, and you hate the people that are against you, but no, no, no. That's not going to solve anything. That's not going to create unity. That's just going to enforce division. So Jesus said, yeah, you've heard this before. You've heard to love your neighbor. In context, what that means is, hey, we Jews, we have been taught to love our fellow Jews, but to hate people outside of our community. Jesus corrects that. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you heard this teaching before? What Jesus said, to love your enemies? Here's the deal. And Listen, I'm going to make a big general statement here. The majority of us, we just don't know what it's like to have a real enemy. We don't. Now, maybe, maybe you're the exception to that, but most of us, we don't know what it's like to have a real enemy. And so often when this is, is preached, so often when we're taught to love our enemies, it's taught like, okay, that person who cuts you off in traffic, love that person. That person who was mean to you at school and they were a bully, love that person. That person who posted something nasty on your social media, love that person. But that's different than having a real enemy. In the context that Jesus was preaching here, these Jewish people had a real enemy, the Romans. The Romans were oppressing the Jews. They'd occupied their land. There was just about zero accountability in this government. The Romans could do whatever they wanted. A Roman soldier could walk up to you and say, you haven't paid your share of taxes. You could say, well, I think I have. I'm pretty sure. No, you need to pay me more money. If you don't pay me more money, I'm going to take your daughter as a slave. Okay. And they, they could just do that. And if a person was accused in the Jewish community of of committing some kind of crime, a Roman soldier could come in and just murder that man on the spot. No accountability, no freedom, no due process. Now what does Jesus say? Those Romans, love them. Can you? (laughs) How many people stood up and walked away when they heard Jesus say that? How many? You want me to love the people who are oppressing me and taxing me? And they took, they took my daughter as a slave. And you want me to love them? Yeah. Because love, nobody said it was easy, <laughs> but love creates change. The Jews had other enemies. It wasn't just the Romans. There was also the Samaritans. They, they despised the Samaritans. There was this really institutionalized racism among the Jewish community, there was. And they viewed the Samaritans, pardon the term, but as half-breeds, a perverse half-breed, and you claim to be worshiping our God, but you don't know our God. And so they thought so so poorly of them. And then there was the Gentiles. Gentiles were just like, you got to stay away from a Gentile. They don't know our God. They're unclean. And so there was this institutionalized racism. And Jesus says, no. You're not allowed just to love your own kind. You've got to love people who are different from you. Love the Samaritans. Love the Gentiles. 
Love the Romans who are oppressing you. In fact, pray for them. (laughs) Pray for the people who are oppressing you. Again, Jesus, nowhere does Jesus say, hey, this is easy. It's not easy to love your enemies, but love creates change. Continuing on here, Matthew chapter 5. Let me read this again. But I tell you, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So that's a big deal here because the Jews were supposed to be a reflection of God's character. They were supposed to be a community that represented God to others. And Jesus is saying, okay, maybe other nations, they don't love their enemies, but you're supposed to be... You're supposed to be different. Be children of your Father in heaven. He causes, continuing on here in verse 45, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is, I I can't begin to tell you what a profound statement this is. It's just a little statement, but this is profound. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He said, there is something that all human beings have in common, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, good or bad. All human beings will see their share of blessing and see their share of trials. Life isn't easy. Life isn't fair. And guess what, human beings? You're all in it together. You're all in it together. And I believe that's, that's one of the points that Jesus is making in this simple statement. Guys, listen, they may be different from you, they may be oppressing you, but you're all in this broken world together. Isn't that a statement we keep hearing nowadays? We're in this together. I think Jesus was the one that came up with that idea. Listen, guys, be in this together. You're all suffering together, and you all experience good times at times. You know, there are times of blessing, times of trial, but you're in this together. So be for one another. Love one another. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Now, some people interpret that as Jesus saying, okay, if you do what I'm telling you to do, then you will see a reward in heaven. And I believe that's part of it. But there's also something extremely practical about this. If you just love your own kind, what is it that you're going to accomplish? If you just love people who are like you, what are you going to accomplish? How are you going to change things? How are you going to end hate? How are you going to end rate? You're just loving your own kind. Where's the reward? Where's the fruit of that? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't, do not even the pagans do that? Jesus finishes by saying, be perfect. Did you catch that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, is that all? <laughs> be perfect, Okay. You know, I believe that this, this reference to being perfect goes, I mean, it goes hand in hand with something else that Jesus said. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love. He said, love God first, and love one another. And Jesus clarified that all the other commandments, all the other instructions, they hang on this teaching of love. You want to be complete? You want to be perfect? You want to get it all right? It starts with love. And it ends with loving one another. That's what we need to do. Love one another. All right, Jesus, this is all well and good. And I think, you know, those of us who are Christians, we'd probably agree, oh yeah, Jesus is right. We ought to do this. Love is fruitful. Love does accomplish change, so let's love one another. I think the problem is how. 
How? I mean, some people, like Jesus says, some people are easy to love. It's easy to love people who are like you. It's easy to love people who are kind to you, that have the same interests as you, that share the same complexion as you, that is from the same environment that you're from, from the same nation or same community. But what about people who are different from you? How do we do that? What if, what if we're on, on different sides of, of politics? What if, what if someone's a Democrat and another person is a Republican? How do you love each other in that situation? How do you do that? What if someone's from Delco and somebody else is from Chester County? How could we possibly find a way to love each other? We're so different. But to be serious, this is an issue. How do we love people who are different from us, that have different values from us? And those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, how do we love people who don't believe? How do we love people of different faiths? So here's what I'd like to give you today. A few tangible steps in how to. This isn't a a, a full list. A few ideas of how we can go about this, this thing of loving one another. How do we do this? Here we go. Number one, treat people as individuals and not as part of a collective, okay? One tangible thing we can do to help us cultivate this love for one another. Treat people as individuals and not part of a collective. Oh, you're one of those Republicans or you're one of those Democrats. No, 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 they're not one of those. Treat a person as an individual, right? Oh, you're one of those police officers, or you're one of those pastors. No, don't clump them in with their profession, right? Nobody likes to be clumped in with a larger group. Even those of us who are Christians, sometimes we're uneasy about being clumped in. Oh, you're just one of those Christians. Well, no, I'm not not one of those Christians. I'm the one and only me. Don't we feel that way, right? I mean, whenever I meet somebody new and I have to tell them I'm a pastor, I immediately want to say, yeah, but like I'm not one of those, right? We don't want to be one of those. We want to be treated as individuals, We don't want to be treated, okay, you're just one of those. You're just one of those Caucasians. Oh, we know how Caucasians are. We know how. Listen, we don't want that. You don't want to be treated like that. So what does Jesus say? Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Treat people as people, not as some collective, not as part of a collective, okay? So that's one thing. So that may solve some of the problem right there. Treat people, uh, give them the courtesy and the kindness and the respect to treat them as individuals. But what about, <laughs> what about those people that just drive you nuts anyway, right? It's not about their collective. It's not about their race or their profession or where they're from. It's not about that. It's just as an individual, on an individual basis, they just, you just don't like that person. What do you do? We're talking about the discipline of love here, and that's what it is. It is a discipline, okay? So the first thing is treat people as individuals, not part of a collective. The second thing is enter into the discipline of empathy, all right? Everybody, listen guys, every single human being who has ever lived has gone through life facing certain trials, right? And if we could learn to have empathy for what other people have gone through, that would be so valuable for us. If we could learn, if we could try to put ourselves in in that other person's moccasins as they walk through the trail of life, we'd have a better understanding of who that person is and why they act that way. And I'm not, I'm not saying let's make excuses for their bad behavior. Let's make excuses for other people's bad choices. I'm just saying let's attempt to understand where other people are coming from. Listen, everybody has a story. Everybody has a reason for why they are the way that they are. Everybody is broken. We've all experienced pain. Everybody has a story. If we attempt to empathize, it'll make it that much easier to love other people. Here's my third tip for you. Let's start thinking about love as an action and not as a feeling, okay? So again, treat people as individuals, not part of a collective. Try to empathize with people. 
And let's start thinking about love as an action and not a feeling. You might not feel a certain fondness for an individual, and Jesus says, well, that's okay. Pray for him anyway, right? Now, I'm not saying that love is not an emotional thing. It absolutely is. There absolutely is an emotional component to that. But let's think about love as action and not just feeling. And if you have somebody in your life that you find yourself, man, I just don't like this person. We're so different, whatever it is. Ask yourself the question, what can I do to serve this person? What can I do to care for this individual? Think of love as service. How can I help? What can I do to support this person? Oh, man, that might not change the other person, but it's going to change your heart. I'm going to serve. This person is my enemy, but I'm going to serve this person. This person is against me, but I'm going to serve this person. How? How can you do that? And so that's how, just a few steps of how we can love one another. This is what we're going to do. We're going to treat people as individuals. We're going to try our best to empathize. And we're going to ask ourselves, how can we serve people who aren't like us? Now, you might be thinking that's all well and good for us to do as individuals. But is there anything, goodness gracious, is there anything we can do to stop institutionalized hate and racism? Is there anything we can do, anything we can do as a collective what can we do to change our culture, to change our nation, to change our society? Is there anything we can do? I mean, beyond just individuals loving one another. Well, I think there are a few things we can do. I think we can. I think we can push on our lawmakers. You know, there's some kind of vetting process that people go through before they become police officers or before they become military or before they become public officials, before they become public servants. There's a vetting process. Maybe it's time to revise that vetting process. Maybe we push on our lawmakers to say, okay, is there some kind of filter that we can put up so that people who are filled with hate and racism don't end up in positions of authority? Can we do that? I think so. We can push on our lawmakers on a local, on a state, on a federal level. We can do that. You know what else we can do? We can make acts of discrimination and hate and racism illegal. We can do that. And we already have. And see, there's, there's the problem here. We can create all kinds of laws that, that enforce punishments for certain behaviors, right? And we can create laws that make racism illegal. We can make laws that, that make acts of hate illegal. But we can't create a law that's going to change a person's heart. We can't create a law that's going to end hate. We can make the actions illegal. We can enforce consequences for the actions, but we cannot. Listen, there's no law. Guys, listen, this might sound discouraging, but there's no law we can create that's going to change a person's heart. We can't do it. But what we can't do, Christ can. Jesus can change a person's heart. Law's not going to do that, but Jesus can change a person's heart. Here's something to look forward to, guys. <laughs> Here's some hope in our future. If you believe what the Bible has to say, and we do here at Hope Community Church, we believe what the Bible has to say. We understand that the story of the Bible is more than just, okay, people believe in Jesus, and then they die and go to heaven. The end. No, 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 no. That's not where the story ends. We believe that one day Jesus will return, and he will remake this earth. He will reorder all things. And we will have one perfect government, one perfect kingdom run by one perfect leader, Christ Himself. There is a kingdom coming that will be perfect. 
There is a kingdom coming, a government, an order where all people will love one another. We will all be under the rule of King Jesus and we will all love one another. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's coming. But in the meantime, in the meantime, there's us, the church. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the the most confusing things that Jesus talks about is the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus is asked about the kingdom, he talks about it as something that is future and yet present. Something that is a future reality and yet it's here and now and in our midst right now. And here's what we believe, that we as believers, that we as a church, we are a present day in this broken world, we are a present day reflection of that future perfect kingdom where all people love one another. I go so far as to say this, that we, as a local church, we are the present day incarnation of that future perfect kingdom where all people love one another. That's, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. We are the present in this broken world where there's still hate and there's still crime and there's still injustice. We are a present-day incarnation of that future perfect kingdom where all people love one another. What does that mean for us as a local church? It means that we, we need to love one another. We need to be for one another. We are this incarnation of Christ's future perfect kingdom right here in Delco. We are the kingdom of God here in Delco. We are supposed to live out these values of loving one another. And we can show other people what Christ's perfect kingdom will look like so that they desire to be a part of it, right? That's how this has worked. That's how the church has worked throughout the centuries here, that people have seen, oh, is that what the kingdom's like? And they want to be a part of it. Oh, there's a collective of people that love one another, and in spite of their differences, they're for one another. I want to be a part of that. We can show people what that future perfect kingdom will be like, and they will desire to be a part of it. And we can show others the value of loving one another. We can bear witness to the reality of the gospel. And I believe it, guys. I believe that we can. We can make a profound impact in our own community. But it starts with our willingness to enter into the discipline of loving one another. Let's pray on that. Father God, only you know our hearts. You know where we are experiencing anger and frustration and and maybe even hate. So God, I'd ask that you would please, please heal us of our brokenness. Father God, give us eyes to see people the way that you see them, as precious, broken, in need of love and in need of redemption. Jesus, teach us to love one another as you have loved us. And allow Hope Community Church to be a reflection, an incarnation of your future perfect kingdom. A kingdom where there is no racism and no anger, no hate, only love. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.